Now, Monday Thursday relates to that time Thursday night before that Good Friday, the day of the Passion of Christ on the cross, when Christ spent his last hours with his disciples. On Monday Thursday, in my guided study Bible as a part of my Essential Spiritual Fitness Program, I have laid out readings for Monday Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Resurrection Sunday. We'll be looking at those as we go today. And on Monday, Thursday, what we start with is Genesis chapter 3. And we start with verse 1 and we go through verse 15. The reason we do this is because as we come into Holy Week, last Sunday was Palm Sunday. And then as we come through this week, we get to that Thursday where the apostles had prepared the meal and Christ and the apostles came and met together there in the upper room. We start our readings for Monday Thursday on Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 because we want to remember the reason that Christ is here and that he has to die on the cross. The reason goes all the way back to the beginning when we have in Genesis chapter 3 the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind which we teach in the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program under the doctrine of ancestral sin. Not the doctrine of original sin, but the doctrine of ancestral sin. And so on Monday, Thursday, our readings begin there in Genesis chapter 3, and we walk through the fall of Adam and Eve, and we end at verse 15, verse 15 being the promise, the promise of that Christ that would come. And that's really where our whole religion starts. We have the dominion mandate in Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first covenant that God makes with man, is that covenant of dominion, which Christ fulfills through the cross. And then we have the Adamic covenant in Genesis chapter 3, which Christ fulfills through the cross and through the cross all the way up through the 80-70 events. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and just get started. Now the serpent, that fallen angel, who had committed mutiny in heaven and been cast out of heaven into Tartarus, this serpent, he was the most crafty of all the brutes on the earth, which the Lord God made, when the serpent said to the woman, Wherefore has God said, Eat not of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knew that in whatever day you should eat of it, your eyes would be open, and you would be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes to look upon, and beautiful to contemplate. And having taken of its fruit, she ate, and she gave to her husband also with her, and they ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they perceived that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons to go round about them. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the afternoon. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the face of the Lord God in the midst of the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Adam, where are you? And he said to him, I heard your voice as you walked in the garden, and I feared because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, Who told you that you were naked, unless you have eaten of the tree concerning which I charged you of it alone not to eat? And Adam said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, Why have you done this? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are yet more cursed above all cattle and all the wild beasts of the earth, on your breast and belly going forth even to consume the earth all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall be on guard against your head, 
and you shall be on guard against his heel. That last part, Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He shall be on guard against your head, and you shall be a guard against his heel. This is the promise of the Christ, where we get the Edemic covenant. And what we have going on in Holy Week is Christ bringing to fruition the fulfillment of the Edemic covenant there on the cross and then through the events that lead to AD 70. What we have on the cross is the completed atonement taking place, which allows the saints to receive the presence of Christ and then in the end of time, whether you believe that is yet future or you believe that was AD 70, you then have Christ bringing forth the universal restoration. So where we start on Monday, Thursday is back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, which is the giving of the Adamic covenant and the promise that this Christ would come. Starting there also reminds us of that pre-incarnate Christ who was the tree of life in the Garden of Eden after the order of Melchizedek. And so it puts us back in focus to the whole story of Scripture, which can only be seen and understood through the cross, which is why this is one of the holiest weeks of the church calendar. The pre-incarnate Christ was accessible to Adam there in the garden. And when he fell in sin, then the human race lost access to the tree of life, and so we died. And Satan, having led mankind to eat of that knowledge of good and evil, that tree, and thus having killed Adam and Eve, he became the owner of their souls. And he took their souls captive at physical death, in spiritual death, and held them in what is known as Hades. And there in Hades the souls of men waited. And Holy Week, Christ's here to do something about that. And that is what we'll get into as we get into Friday and Saturday and then Sunday. Now on this Monday, Thursday, what we also do is we also read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, uh, starting in verse 1 and reading through the whole chapter. And that gives us this setting, the story of what was taking place on Monday, Thursday, how Christ washed the disciples' feet and in essence initiated his baptism through the apostles, and then out to all of humanity. So Christ, in that foot washing, in essence, baptized those apostles, transferring them from the Old into the New Testament through that washing of the feet. And that's why it's a one-time event. It isn't something that the church practices, because we recognize that the washing of the feet of the apostles by Christ was a one-time event. Washing away the sins of the apostles, symbolically, as Christ would do that at the cross for us all, but symbolically washing away the sins of the apostles, baptizing them into himself through that foot washing. And then after the cross and after Pentecost, you see the apostles teaching and the people asking, what shall we do? And they say, be baptized. And then all those baptisms from that point forward come through the apostles. But the apostles' baptism came through Christ on Monday, Thursday in the upper room. So all the baptisms that ever took place through faith in Christ go all the way back to the apostles and all the way back to Christ himself. And that's one of the things we learn about Monday, Thursday, is that this is the initiation of the apostles into that new covenant through the washing of their feet, which is their own baptism into Christ, which they then carry forward to the rest of the world. What we also have on Monday, Thursday, is the first communion, the initiation of the communion supper, the initiation of the communion sacrament. And you see that the apostles carried that forth as well. So we have on Monday, Thursday, the recording for us of the apostles being baptized into the new covenant and sharing 
that first communion with Christ. And then being held responsible as the administrators of the new covenant to carry all those things forward. So Monday Thursday is an important day, and it's one of the days that we celebrate in our Essential Spiritual Fitness Program through the Guided Study Bible. In the Guided Study Bible, all of these things are available to you on each of these holy days. In addition to Matthew chapter 26, we also have the readings from the Gospel of John. And those readings are from chapter 13 to chapter 18. Now in those chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, we have the story of that upper room and Christ going then into the Garden of Gethsemane. But in between 13 and 18, we also have the great teaching of Christ that came on that night. So in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, we have the great teaching of Christ to his apostles of all that he is, and them saying, now we know who you truly are. So in order to understand Monday, Thursday, and to celebrate it, we give you there not only the starting point, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and the story of the upper room and Christ then going with his apostles out to that Garden of Gethsemane and praying there as before uh, uh, Judas had come to meet him and to betray him unto the Jews. We also give you in John the teaching of Jesus on that night to his apostles, some of the greatest teaching in any of the Gospels, some of the greatest teaching in any of Scripture are these Chapters of John, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Christ shares his final teaching with the apostles that night, Monday, Thursday, before being betrayed unto the Jews. Now, after Monday, Thursday, we then roll into Good Friday, and we have the readings here given. And the readings for Good Friday are Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 16, and then rolling into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 25. Here in Hebrews, what we have in these chapters, chapter 9 and 10, what we really have is the actual description by the Apostle Paul in the epistle to the Hebrews of how Christ literally fulfilled the sacrifice that was necessary there on the cross for the new covenant to come into play. Now remember, in those chapters, we know that we're told that the testament doesn't come into, the last will and testament of a person doesn't come into, into force until the death of the testator. So what you have there is not only the death of the testator, but also how he died, which brings us back to that Melchizedek priesthood. Christ being the Melchizedek priest, he was, Christ pre-incarnate was the Melchizedek priest in the garden. And humankind lost access to Christ there in the garden at the fall. And here on the cross, we have the Melchizedek priest, Christ incarnate, shedding his blood in the new covenant temple there on the cross. So let's just think through that. Let's just think through that for a moment. We have Christ, who is the new covenant temple. Remember, in John chapter 2, Christ said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That body into which God became incarnate, that body in which God became incarnate, was the new covenant temple. The temple was the presence of God on earth. That body of Christ was the presence of God on earth. Remember, he's called Emmanuel, God with us. So here in the new covenant temple, that body of the Christ, Christ, during his, his ministry, fulfilled his priestly religious duty by preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then when the time came for the once and for all final sacrifice, he then on the cross entered into the Holy of Holies and shed his blood, sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat, and saw that blood accepted as he gave up the spirit and passed through that flesh and descended into hell. That's what's happening on the cross on Good Friday. The fullness of the atonement necessary, the full propitiation for our sins, 
the blood shed, applied, and accepted. All happening there on the cross. Now think about this. Christ is the temple. The body of Christ is the temple in which God dwells here on earth. Now think about that. That means that everything that was in that Old Testament temple that Moses was instructed to build there in the wilderness, everything that was there in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant and all the things in the Ark and the Holy of Holies and the Mercy Seat, everything that was a part of that temple, everything that was a part of that tent, the tabernacle there in the wilderness, all of that saw its fulfillment in Christ. There's nothing in the tabernacle, there's nothing in that tent in the wilderness that Moses built according to the specific guidelines that God gave him. Nothing that was there wasn't fulfilled in Christ. Everything that was there was fulfilled in the body of Christ. So when we talk about Christ hanging on the cross, we're talking about literally the high priest Melchizedek, the incarnate Christ, offering in the temple, which was his body, that final sacrifice, his own blood, and taking his own blood from that final sacrifice, which was his body, and applying it to his own body, which was the temple, to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, all which were found right there in his body, fulfilled right there in his body. And then, as he came forth out of that body with the words, it is finished, giving up the spirit at that moment in time, he passed through the flesh, the flesh being the tabernacle, the temple. And the sacrifice was accepted. That's what's happening on the cross. The most marvelous thing we can imagine. The signal event of all creation is the incarnation of Christ. The signal passion of Christ is there on the cross. The greatest sacrifice ever. We have, again to repeat, the body of Christ is the temple. Everything in the old covenant temple, in that temple that Moses created according to the heavenly pattern, everything that was in it was fulfilled in that body of the Christ. And the high priest of the new covenant, Melchizedek, the incarnate Christ, dwelt in that temple, the body in which God dwelt, body of the incarnation so Christ being the high priest offered in the sacrifice is offered the sacrifice in the temple which was his body and offered the sacrifice in that temple that was his body and blood and that blood that was shed was spread on his own body which was the holy place the most holy place the mercy seat and as that blood was shed sprinkled on that body. Christ then, when it was done, announced it so, it is finished, and passed through the veil, which we're told specifically in Hebrews, that veil was his flesh. He passed through the veil of the most holy of holy places, his flesh, and came forth out of the temple, out of the most holy place, to be received, to demonstrate that his sacrifice that blood shed there had been received by God. That's what's happening on Good Friday. Now on Good Friday, we have those readings from Hebrews. We also read in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28, and going through John chapter 19, starting in verse 1 through the end of the chapter. So we can read about the events happening there, leading up to him being on the cross and the events of him being on the cross. Then we also read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, starting in verse 50 and going through verse 52, because these verses are actually the recording by Matthew of the initiation of the kingdom. Think about that for just a second. We have in Matthew 27, verse 50 through 52, we have, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up the Spirit, and behold, 
The veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks were split apart. Think about all that we just said. This sacrifice of Jesus was given there on the cross. He was the high priest working in the new covenant tabernacle, his body, sacrificing his own body, the new covenant sacrifice, for our sins. And he took that shed blo that blood that he shed and applied it to his own body, which was that most holy place, the mercy seat in the most holy place. And then cried with a loud voice, it is finished, and yielded up the spirit as God accepted, as proof that God accepted that sacrifice. And then God, to show that this sacrifice had been accepted in the physical world, rent the veil of the temple in two from the top to the bottom. And to show what was so happening in the spiritual world, the earth did quake and the rocks were split apart and verse 52 then takes us to the next part of Good Friday. Verse 52 says, And the graves did open themselves, and the many bodies, quote-unquote, of the saints, which slept, were roused with passion and came forth. This is the story of Good Friday right here, the events that are happening. And these graves that opened, and these bodies of the saints which slept, that were roused with passion and came forth? Well, this was Christ's descent into hell. This was Christ's descent into hell, his breaking down the gates of hell, and his freeing of the captive saints. This descent of Christ into hell in order to make war with Satan. Remember, on Monday, Thursday, we started with Genesis chapter 3. And we read verses 1 through 15. We talked about the Adamic covenant, which was the promise of the Christ, and Christ would bruise his. They would bruise, he would bruise Christ, but Christ would overcome him. That's that promise of Genesis 3.15. Well, here on a cross, in Matthew 27, verse 52, we have the events being recorded for us of Christ descending into hell to do those very things that were promised in Genesis 3.15. We have Jesus descending into Hades in order to make war with Satan, cast him into the bottomless pit, break down the gates of hell, and cross over its gates, threshold, instituting paradise in what had been but darkness. And in doing all that, he was initiating the kingdom of God. Now this, these events here, this is why the events of fr this Friday are called Good Friday. Because on this Friday, the passion of Christ brought forth the initiation of the kingdom. Remember, at the death of the testator, the new, their last will and testament comes into force. At the moment of Christ's death, the sacrifice having been made, the blood having been shed, applied and accepted as Christ was that temple and all parts of that temple were there on the cross, hanging in that immolated body of his. And as he came forth out of the flesh, which was the veil of the temple, the sacrifice was shown as being accepted. He then descended into hell with this sacrifice now done, and his New Testament now in force. Now it would take years for that New Testament, all the jots and tittles of that New Testament to come into force, but the immediacy of the efficacy of Christ's blood came into force immediately. We have Christ descending into hell to take the captive saints back into his care because he had finally paid the price for them for their sin debt through his blood that had been shed, applied, and accept it there on the cross. Now this is something that is as biblical as you can get and has been taught by the church forever, even found its way into the Apostles' Creed, and he descended into hell. What has been said about this is many things, but 
I'll read a couple of them from you, and then we'll move on to Holy Saturday. Here's one from Caesarus of Arles back in the 5th century. The eternal night of hell is illuminated as Christ descends. The bonds of the damned torn asunder fell away. Every cry of the groaning became still. The captive souls loosed from bonds go forth from hell, and the apostles' words come true. In Jesus' name every knee bends of things in heaven and earth and under the earth. And another one from Theodora. To the devil Christ declares, I mean to open the prison of death for the rest, but will shut up you only. Having cast him into the bottomless pit, he means, thou wast justly despoiled of all thy subjects. And from Chrysostom we have Christ, he asserts, not merely open, but broke in pieces the gates of brass in order to make the prison useless. Where there is neither door nor bar, whosoever enters is not detained. What God destroys, who can set up again? Earthly kings indeed set free prisoners, yet leave untouched the prison gates. But Christ, well, Christ broke in pieces the gates of brass, those gates that held back the souls in hell in captivity. Christ went to the utterly black and joyless portion of hell and turned it into heaven, transferring all its wealth, the race of man, the saints, into his royal treasury. In this, too, Christ surpasses kings, for they send messengers but he went in person to set the captives free. So again, our Lord says, when he was in hell, he set free all who were kept prisoners by death, as Peter the Apostle shares with us. So we've talked about Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and that takes us into Holy Saturday. Now, Holy Saturday, our readings, our readings come on Holy Saturday from Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 13. We also have the Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting in verse 19 and going through verse 29. And we have the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, starting in verse 62 and going through the end of the chapter. So what we have is, on Holy Saturday, Christ celebrating with the saints that he raised from which we know is the first resurrection Christ going to be the first fruits of that first resurrection on Sunday we have Christ on Holy Saturday celebrating with the saints there in Hades the darkness which he had turned into the light of heaven paradise the place where the good thief on the cross was with him immediately as he passed on the cross, on his own cross, into the afterlife. We have all of these things happening there on Holy Saturday. And in the earthly world, in the physical realm, we have the Jews who had killed Jesus looking to seal his tomb so that the apostles couldn't come and steal his body and take him and claim he'd been resurrected. So on Holy Saturday... In our readings, we cover these things. We cover the activities of those unbelieving Jews who came to seal the tomb. But mostly we talk about what it was that Jesus was doing in celebrating on that day with the saints who'd been waiting with for him for what would have seemed like forever. Remember, Abel was the first to die, who was a saint of God. And that Abel, he had been in Hades held captive by Satan since the beginning. And on that good Friday when Christ descended into hell, Adam and Eve and Abel and all the saints came forth into his presence and dwelt with him. And on Holy Saturday we celebrate this. And this is an old homily that we have in the Guided Study Bible, which is a part uh, which contains the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program. We have this here uh, in the section on Holy Saturday, and I'm going to read it. It's a marvelous thing, and it talks very much about all the wonderful things that Christ's death on the cross through the immediate efficacy of his blood brought to pass. So, here it is. What is happening 
Today there is a great silence over the earth, a great silence and stillness. A great silence because the king sleeps. The earth was in terror and was still because God slept in the flesh and raised up those who were sleeping from the ages. God has died in the flesh and the underworld has trembled. Truly he goes to seek our first parent like a lost sheep. He wishes to visit those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He goes to free the prisoner Adam and his fellow prisoner Eve from their pains. He who is God and Adam's son. The Lord goes in to them holding his victorious weapon, his cross. When Adam, the first created man, sees him, he strikes his breast in terror and calls out to all, My Lord, be with you all. And Christ in reply says to Adam, And with your spirit. And grasping his hand, raises Adam up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ shall give you light. I am your God, who for your sake became your son, who for you and your descendants now speak and command with authority those in prison. Come forth, and those in darkness have light, and those who sleep rise. I command you, awake, O sleeper. I have not made you to be held a prisoner in the underworld. Arise from the dead. I am the life of the dead. Arise, O man, work of my hands. Arise, you who were fashioned in, a, in my image. Rise, let us go hence. For you and me and I and you, together we are one undivided person. For you, I your God became your son. For you, I the master took on your form, that of slave. For you, I who am above the heavens came on earth and under the earth. For you, O oh man, I became as a man without help, free among the dead. For you, who left a garden, I was handed over to the Jews from a garden, and crucified in a garden. Look at the spittle on my face, which I received because of you, in order to restore you to that first divine inbreathing at creation. See the blows on my cheeks, which I accepted in order to refashion your distorted form to my own image. See the scourging of my back, which I accepted in order to disperse the load of your sins which was laid upon your back. See my hands nailed to the tree for a good purpose, for you who stretched out your hand to the tree for an evil one. I slept on the cross and a sword pierced my side, for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side healed the pain of your side. My sleep will release you from your sleep in Hades. My sword has checked the sword which was turned against you. But arise, let us go hence. The enemy brought you out of the land of paradise. I will reinstate you, no longer in paradise, but on the throne of heaven. I denied you the tree of life, which was a figure. But now I myself am united to you. I who am life. I posted the cherubim to guard you as they would slaves. Now I make the cherubim worship you as they would God. The cherubim throne has been prepared. The bears are ready and waiting. The bridal chamber is in order. The food is provided. The everlasting houses and rooms are in readiness. The treasures of good things have been opened. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared before the ages. Amen and amen. And that's the homily that we read on Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday, which celebrates Christ's celebration with the saints. There in Hades, as he had on Good Friday, initiated his kingdom and called them forth out of the darkness of hell into his light. There's a lot going on during this Holy Week. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, there's a lot going on. And all of it brings us then finally to Resurrection Sunday, which is, as we know, the crowning proof of God, the first fruits. Now the first thing to note about Resurrection Sunday is what Hebrews 13 tells us, that Christ was raised from the dead by the power of that eternal blood of the covenant. 
You see, if that blood hadn't been not only shed, but also applied and accepted, Christ the man doesn't raise. The physical body doesn't come up from the grave. See, it's the cross that initiates the kingdom. It's the cross that brings the new covenant into force. It's the shed, applied, and accepted blood of Christ as he came through that veil of his flesh, showing forth the acceptance of the sacrifice by the Father that brought us into fellowship with him. And the same blood that was shed, applied, and accepted, by which his body was raised, that New Testament temple was raised to new life. Back in John chapter 2, he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That's what we get to on Resurrection Sunday, him raising up that body from the grave, him raising up the temple of the new covenant that could never be torn down again. That new temple that could never be torn down again became the eternal temple of the New Testament. So Christ is risen. The first fruits of them that sleep come forth from the grave. For seeing that by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as by Adam all men do die, so by Christ all men of faith shall be restored to new life. Christ rising again from the dead now dies not. The eternal New Testament temple. Death from henceforth has no power over him. For in that he died, he died but once to put away sin. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. And so likewise, count yourselves dead unto sin, but living unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Almighty God, which through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, has overcome death and opened unto us the gate of everlasting life, we beseech you, says our prayer for Resurrection Sunday, that as by your special grace going before us, you would predispose and put in our minds good desires. So by your continual help, we may bring the same to good effect through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns world without end forever and ever. Amen. Our readings for Resurrection Sunday come from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, and the Gospel of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. These are our readings for Resurrection Sunday. And then, here in the Guided Study Bible, which contains our Essential Spiritual Fitness Program, all of which you have access to as a subscriber of the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program, we have a couple of homilies for Resurrection Sunday. And I'm going to read them here now for you, and this will bring us to the end of our, of our podcast here today. So the first is a poem. It goes like this. If anyone is devout and a lover of God, let them enjoy this beautiful and radiant festival. If anyone is a grateful servant, let them rejoicing enter into the joy of his Lord. If anyone has wearied themselves in fasting, let them now receive recompense. If anyone has labored from the first hour, let them today receive the just reward. If anyone has come at the third hour, with thanksgiving let them feast. If anyone has arrived at the sixth hour, let them have no misgivings, for they shall suffer no loss. If anyone is delayed until the ninth hour, let them draw near without hesitation. If anyone has arrived even at the eleventh hour, let them not fear on account of tardiness. For the master is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him that comes at the eleventh hour, just as to him who has labored from the first. He has mercy upon the last and cares for the first. To the one he gives, to the other he is gracious. He both honors the work and praises the intention. Enter, all of you, therefore, into the joy of our Lord, and whether first or last, receive your reward. O rich and poor, one with another, dance for joy. O you ascetics and you negligent, celebrate the day. You that have fasted and you that have disregarded the fast, rejoice today. 
The table is rich laden. Feast royally, all of you. The calf is fatted. Let no one go forth hungry. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon has dawned from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was taken by death has annihilated it. He descended into Hades and took Hades captive. He embittered it when he tasted his flesh. And anticipating this, Isaiah exclaimed, Hades was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was embolished. Abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was purged. It was embittered, for it was despoiled. It was embittered, for it was bound in chains. It took a body and came upon God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw but crumbled before what it had not seen. O death, where is thy sting? O death and Hades, where is thy victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen and not one saint remains in a tomb. For Christ being raised from the dead has become the first fruits of them that have slept. To him be glory and might unto the ages of ages. Amen. Now that's a poem that we read and to celebrate the glorious events of Resurrection Sunday. Then we also read an ancient story of celebration. And note how we have these things. Monday, Thursday, all the events that we recognize there going back to the garden in the fall, promise of Christ's coming, and Christ initiating his new kingdom as he baptized the saints through the foot washing, the apostles, and then shared with them that first communion, initiating both baptism and communion into the new covenant age. And then we go into Good Friday, where Christ on the cross, being the temple, being the sacrifice, being the high priest working in the temple on the cross, shed, applied, and saw accepted his sacrifice as he came through the veil of his flesh out of that cross. And that immolated body, which was the cross, which was the temple, and our sacrifice was the flesh through which he passed, showing forth the acceptance of that sacrifice made there. And then on that Good Friday, at the moment of his death, bringing into force his new testament, his new covenant. And by the power of that blood, having been shed, applied, and accepted, going down into Hades, where the saints had been held captive since the fall, and overcoming Satan, bringing forth those saints into his presence. And then on Holy Saturday, sharing that marvelous day with them, with those saints that had waited all so long, those saints that were that are recorded for us, Hebrews chapter 11, all of them finally having received the atonement to dwell with Christ. And so now they waited with Christ for the universal restoration that was yet to come. And then finally, Sunday, the proof the crowning proof that Jesus Christ is God, the crowning proof that the resurrection occurred there on Good Friday and the kingdom was initiated and the New Testament was now in place. The crowning proof for all of us on earth that all of that had come to pass. So we have the celebration on Resurrection Sunday of all this marvelous truth that we had now been saved. That's the glory that Holy Week leads to. And here is a story of this celebration. And this is from the time of St. John Damascene around AD 780. And the scene is at Athens. 
As midnight approached, the archbishop with his priests, accompanied by the king and queen, left the church and stationed themselves on the platform which was raised considerably from the ground so that they were distinctly seen by the people. Everyone now remained in breathless expectation, holding their unlighted tapers in readiness when the glad moment should arrive, while the priests still continued quietly singing their melancholy chant in a low half-whisper. Suddenly, the single report of a cannon announced that twelve o'clock had struck, and that Resurrection Sunday had begun. Then the old archbishop, elevating the cross, exclaimed in a loud, exulting tone, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen, and instantly every single individual of all that host took up the cry, and the vast multitude broke through and dispelled forever the intense and mournful silence which they had maintained so long. With one spontaneous shout of indescribable joy and triumph, they yelled, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. At the same moment, the oppressive darkness was succeeded by a blaze of light from thousands of tapers, which, communicating one from another, seemed to send streams of fire in all directions, rendering the minutest objects distinctly visible, and casting the most vivid glow on the expressive faces full of exultation of the rejoicing crowd. Bands of music struck up their happiest strains, the roll of the drum through the town, and further on, the peeling of the cannon announced far and near these glad tidings of great joy, while from hill and plain, from the seashore and the far olive grove, rocket after rocket ascending to the clear sky answered back with their mute eloquence that Christ is risen indeed, and told of other tongues that were repeating those blessed words and other hearts that leaped for joy. Everywhere men clasped each other's hands, and congratulated one another, and embraced with countenance beaming with delight, as though to each one separately some wonderful happiness had been proclaimed. And so in truth it was, and all the while, rising above the mingling of many sounds, each one of which was a sound of gladness, the aged priests were distinctly heard chanting forth glorious old hymns of victory in tones so loud and clear that they seemed to have regained their youth and strength, to tell the world how Christ is risen from the dead, having trampled beneath his feet death itself, and henceforth they that are in the tombs have everlasting life. Tis the day of resurrection. Earth, tell it out abroad. The Passover of gladness, the Passover of God. From death to life eternal, from this world to the sky, our Christ has brought us over with hymns of victory. Our hearts be pure from evil, that we may see aright the Lord and raise eternal of resurrection light. And listening to his accents, may hear so calm and plain, his own all hail and hearing may raise the victor strain. Now let the heavens be joyful, let earth her song begin, let the round world keep the triumph, and all that is therein. Invisible and visible, their notes let all things blend. Christ the Lord is risen our joy that has no end. And finally, in celebration of that Resurrection Sunday, which is tomorrow of our Holy Week, we have the following. Let us rise early, let us rise in early morning, and instead of ointments bring hymns of praises to our Master, and of his resurrection sing, we shall see the Son of Justice, risen with healing on his wing. Your unbounded loving kindness, they that groaned in Hades' chain, prisoners from afar beholding, hasten to the light again. And to that eternal Pascha, wove the dance and raise the strain. Go ye forth, his saints, to meet him. Go with lamps in every hand. From the sepulchre he rises, ready for the bridegroom stand. And the Pascha of salvation, hail with his triumphant band. And so with that, with that I remind you that this celebration of Holy Week, the Passion of Christ, is one of the most, one of the most solemn things we'll ever know. That's one of the most holy things we'll ever have in the calendar of our Christian faith. 
But the marvelous thing is that all the things that go with it lead to the Resurrection Sunday. And when we understand the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom and all the things that happen through the cross, the beauty of beautiful things that happen on Monday, Thursday, the marvelous truth of Good Friday, why we call it good that the kingdom came, was initiated, that the new covenant came into force on that wonderful day. The power of Holy Saturday in Christ reigning with the saints on that marvelous day. And then the beauty of Resurrection Sunday, the proof of Christ, the crowning proof that this Christ is God and did all these things that he said he would do. All we can ask is that God enlightens us to the glory of his resurrection, that God can enlighten us to the full meaning of this powerful, powerful Holy Week. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. And not only that he can enlighten us to the glory of his resurrection, but that the power of our redemption, which occurs here during these three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that he might, through application of his grace in our life, through the power of all that happened during this season, bring us to apply these truths to apply the glory of his resurrection in our daily life so that our faith will not be without works, but will be real and active here in this very world. So this brings us to the end of our show today during this Holy Week. I think it was worthwhile to stop and just spend the time on this Saturday, which is the Holy Saturday of this Holy Week. And remember, talk through, walk through, remember the glory of this week and what it's all about. This is the cornerstone of our faith. Christ becoming incarnate and his passion on the cross. This is the cornerstone. This is our faith. We need to become connected to it more so and more so and more so every day. And the more we do, the more we'll see the practical application of this coming to be the more we'll, become to, we'll come to build that virtuous life which Christ calls us to and practically apply this living faith. This living faith, why is it a living faith? This living faith from the living temple, which can never die again. So in our regular Saturday morning shows, we'll keep learning more and more about Christ's completed atonement at the cross, the harrowing of hell, redemption's natural result, and how continuing in Christ's word is the means by which we can integrate him into our daily lives with a cleansed spirit and a purified conscience. As we end today, I ask that you remember that I wrote a couple of books that can help you. One is The Pearl, The Captivating Story of the Wondrous Love of God. In that book, you'll read an awful lot about these events that happened during Holy Week. You'll come to understand how they all tie together. And then another book called The Virtuous Life, God's First and Great Commandment, in that book, you'll learn how to practically apply this living faith. Also, I'd ask that you remember that I have for you this thing I call the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program, which you can gain access to and subscribe to at my website, www.spiritualfitnessprogram.com. Everything we do in these podcasts comes from the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program. As a subscriber, you'll have access to all of this in your own hands. So if you're interested, go over to www.spiritualfitnessprogram.com. You can learn more about the program there. And it is there at that website that you can subscribe to the program and begin to learn along with us and practically apply your faith along with us on a daily basis. So looking forward, make sure you mark your calendar for next week as we're putting together another fantastic show for you. So be sure to tune in again next week at this same time. Thank you for joining us here today, this fourth day of April in the 2015th year of our Lord. I'm Paul Rackwitz, spiritual fitness coach, author and founder of the Essential Spiritual Fitness Program. I've enjoyed being your host and coming to you live this morning from Highland, Michigan, as I do every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. I hope you've been blessed by listening in and ask that you continue to be well, God bless and 
I'll see you next time.